have to uh, ask you to bear with me on the uh, the service tonight. We're uh, going to launch into some lessons that are going to be a review of some things that uh, I took a few months to deal with when I first became pastor here regarding our purpose and philosophy of ministry here at Keith Ives Baptist Church from a, a biblical perspective. We're not going to reteach all of it exhaustively, but we are going to come back and review it. It's good from time to time for us to do that uh, and uh, also for uh, others to kind of know biblically where we stand as a church on some issues. And so I want to try to address some of those things and be a help uh, to encourage us along the way. Um, there was a, a survey that was taken uh, among a bunch of pastors that were coming to a Bible conference and this survey took place, I would say, probably in the middle 90s, early 2000s, somewhere in that range. And they were asked, what is the greatest need in fundamental churches today? And they were asked these questions before they came to the conference. And they were to send their answers back and compile the answers. And then they were going to teach on the, the most important issues or needs facing fundamental churches and the four primary ones that came out of that survey of, of fundamental Baptists uh, were this. The first one was that there was a need, and this was the top one, that far exceeded. In fact, the closest one was less than half of what the first one was as far as number of, of people that put this down. The first one is there, need is there needs to be in our fundamental churches a revival of piety and holiness in our lives, personal piety and holiness, not a, not a hypocritical, we're not talking about the scribes and Pharisees, but we have lost moral purity in America largely because people in our fundamental churches who used to hold the line have given in on this thing of personal powerful holiness and a life that is led, uh, the Bible uses this term, led by, being, by walking in the spirit, that we're to walk in the new man and not the old man. That the Holy Spirit is to lead and direct and to guide us day by day. And, um, and we've lost that. And so by far, the preachers that were surveyed, they uh, were thinking and praying about these things. And they said, we believe this is one of the highest things. And each of them individually, without consulting with the other, this was the top one out of the list. That there needed to be a revival of piety and holiness and uh, somewhere along the way, we get so busy in our fundamental churches. Have you noticed that? Uh, we get busy. Brother Dan, you can probably relate to this. Uh, I know I've had to do it over the years. We get busy doing work. You know, the yard's got to be mowed. The, the buses have got to be run. The bathrooms have got to be cleaned. The lights have got to be turned on. The air conditioner filters have to be changed. And uh, just one thing after another. Then the hospital calls, and preachers especially uh, are, are susceptible to this. Uh, you know, you get calls all day long of, of people who need help, and you're dealing with that, and you're running from feel like one fire to the next. And you get done with the end of the day, and you realize that you've had very little time to give yourself to the ministry of prayer and to labor in the Word and in doctrine. And a large uh, cost to our churches has been the result of how busy we get doing the work of the ministry and yet not spending that personal time with the Lord. And so there needs to be a revival of that in our churches. The second one 
is that we needed to reform and state our purpose, our biblical purpose as a church. Why is it that we do what we do? Why do we come to church? Why do we meet the days that we meet? Why do we meet the times that we meet? Why do we come into the service and we seem to have um, uh, opening, uh, opening song, opening prayer, two songs, or greet the visitors, um, message, special maybe, an invitation, and we go through the process? Why is it that we have the activities of the church that we have? If we don't understand our purpose, and this is one of the reasons I believe we've lost direction in our fundamental churches Fundamental churches that used to be solid on the Word of God that have now drifted into this seeker-friendly type of a, of a ministry, I believe, in a large part, is because there was confusion and, and there was, um, there was the, the, uh, the fact that, that preachers didn't understand it as the leader of the church, but neither did they teach it to their congregations what the biblical purpose of a church is. Uh, very, very important that we, that we understand that. Uh, and we're going to talk mostly on that subject tonight. Lord willing, we're going to hit each of these four over the next probably uh, about eight or, no, eight or so weeks that we'll be dealing with some of these topics. The third one is that we need to refo- refocus our priorities. And I think you would have to agree with me that as we look in our fundamental churches today, generally speaking, and I know there are exceptions, but generally speaking, we've taken the things that are not priority according to Scripture, and we've kind of made those the priority. And the things that really ought to be priority, we kind of seem to do that if we have time. And we're not too busy with all these other non-essential things. And we need to revisit this. We need to understand and know our priorities from a Bible perspective. We hold, we hold at, our, at our church, and we spend a little bit of time Sunday afternoon dealing with why we hold to the King James Version, why the Bible is so important to us. There has to be purity of doctrine, and so we hold to the fact that we believe without a doubt that we have in our laps an inerrant and infallible and a pure word of God. This is very vitally important to us if we're going to maintain doctrinal purity. It's also very important to us in understanding our purpose as a church. If the Bible that we have isn't sure and certain, then our purposes certainly are not going to be sure and certain because our purpose has to come from the Word of God. Sad to say... We've developed our purposes based on what we, walk, what we do as we look around society. It's okay, we think that we ought to go do this, or we think we ought to go do that. And we're going to talk a little bit about some of that. And lastly, there needs to be a restructure of philosophy of ministry, our philosophy of ministry. I'm not worried about the word philosophy. The only philosophy I, I get worried about is the one the Bible talks about, and that is the philosophy of men. And, uh, but the truth is, um, we ought to do a study of truth. Uh, from God's Word and know why we hold to the things that we hold to, why we practice things we have. And I will say this, that out of our purpose and our philosophy, we will then be able to, if they're biblically based, we will be able then to form our biblical methods, the biblical methods. The problem with uh, unbiblical methods today is because we don't have a right view of what our purpose is and what our philosophy is of ministry. So we're going to talk about some things here tonight, and I'm going to spend a good deal of the time uh, laying out the problem before we get to Acts chapter 2. Normally I start with the text, and we start preaching the text. But tonight, I I want us to have a clearly defined um, idea of what the problem is, not just a general overview of it. I want us to, to dig into what is the problem, and then we're going to look at the solution. We're going to start on it tonight, and I promise you we're not going to get anywhere near through with it. I've got two... Two full pages of notes and and twenty minutes to teach them. Unless y'all want to be like Haiti, 
I mean, you know, they like three-hour services, and we can do that. <laughs> Some people have to go to work tomorrow, though, and I understand that. So four things, and I would encourage you. Uh, in fact, I might, uh, I might start doing a handout on Wednesday nights for the next few weeks because some of this material is important enough that really we need to have it and we need to review it often. Okay, so I may, I may try to do this in the handout form next week and have it for you. Uh, but if not, if you don't mind taking some notes, write some of these things down. Um, we're going to spend a little bit of time on tonight on the issue of stating our biblical purpose. Now, I spent a little bit of time on this Sunday from Ephesians chapter number 4. And the, the, if I were to take the high-level overview of what our purpose is, it would come from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. And God gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. To me, that is, in a nutshell, and that if, if you were to put a, a hierarchy or an outline of the purpose of the church, I believe that that has to be first and foremost that the purpose of the church is for the edification of the body of Christ. Now, that includes uh, the salvation of the lost, because that will, again, edify or build up the body of Christ. But it also includes teaching and admonishing uh, the believers and those that are Christians in the area of doctrine, uh, in the area of being reproved and correction. The Bible speaks about that in 1 Timothy chapter number 3 and uh, how that we need these things. Um, so I think that's kind of the high-level overview of our purpose. Now, underneath that, there are subheadings of purposes, and we'll find those as we look in Acts chapter 2 tonight. But uh, one of the reasons we're struggling, we're having some of the problems that we're facing in fundamental churches today. I, I was uh, uh, talking with some folks, uh, just even not, not just the folks that are visiting here, but others that have come in the last several months um, when they go around and they're looking for a church and they're visiting churches. And I get some pretty interesting expression, facial expressions from people when they start talking about we've had to go visit churches and they don't say anything bad. But you can tell there's been an experience in doing this. Uh, and I, I look at that and I think how did our, how our fundamental churches, how did we drift so far? I mean, we're living in a day, when I was a kid, if you went to a fundamental church, a fundamental Baptist church, you pretty well expected to hear pretty much the same thing. Uh, we live in a day now, you don't know what you're going to get when you walk in that door. Um, how did we get here? And the biggest reason I can find is that the churches that we have today don't ever take time to stop and think, what is our purpose? Why are we doing what we're doing? There's three things that churches today, I think, are in error on, and I'm going to state the problem this way. There's three areas that I think churches use to determine what they do, and sadly, none of them are from Scripture. The first thing that I think a lot of our fundamental churches are doing that is creating a problem is they are following tradition. They are following tradition. Now, I want to qualify this statement by saying this. I don't think there's anything wrong with the old paths. In fact, the Bible talks about the old paths, and uh, I don't think you need to change things just for the sake of changing things. But what I mean by tradition is it becomes the reason why we do things. Uh, you ever hear this statement or, or this, this thing when a preacher gets up and says, Church, I think we ought to do this, and somebody says, Well, we've never done it that way. You've heard it too, have you? <laughs> That's tradition. Uh, we've never done it that way before, or that's, that's not something our church has ever done. Uh, and we start taking things, something that ought to be a good thing, 
the old fat, the old paths, the, the, the high standard that has been held over the years. And we begin to make that the reason why we do what we do. And we've got to be careful of that because, and we're going to, we're going to look at that in just a minute, how that can become detrimental to a church. But, um, you know, we get into these things of, uh, of tradition and, uh, you'll have good things that you'll practice as a church, but you're doing them for the wrong reason. It, it creates a problem when you go to teach other people about the things that you're doing. You may have good standards, but maybe you have the wrong reason for that standard. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, uh, wire rim glasses were liberal. Man, you did not wear wire rim glasses. Uh, not a real good reason for that, okay? So you got to be careful. There's still churches out there today that have a problem with that. Uh, there are things that we hold to in our churches. Uh, 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 my dad was one of the first men that I remember doing at, when I was a kid that wore a lapel mic. Boy, that was faux pas back then. You just did not do that. Uh, you know, that was, that was, boy, you were a liberal preacher if you wore a lapel mic. And I remember him, he always walked a lot, so it was hard to hear. We never could get him on the recording. And uh, so he went to a lapel mic, you know, and it became a big issue because of tradition. No other reason than tradition. Um, so sometimes we have good things, but we've forgotten the reason. And usually here's what happens. Uh, usually somewhere along the line, uh, the first generation, the generation that came up with that in the church, had a reason for it and probably had a biblical reason for it. But somewhere along the line, they failed to teach the reason for it from the Bible. And then people began to hold it simply because of tradition. And by the way, I'll say this, there are things even in my life, in the last year or two years of my life, I've had to go back and look at it and say, okay, but where does it say that in Scripture? You ever been there before? I've sat in the Bible conferences. I've sat in the Bible colleges. I've heard the men preach. And it makes for some good preaching. You get a lot of amens, and then you go try to find the Scripture for it. And sometimes it's not really there. Uh, I heard somebody say this one time about a lot of camp meeting preaching. Uh, and I love camp meeting preaching, but uh, they said there are some preachers that don't let the Bible get in the way of a good message. Doesn't mean that the message is wrong. Just they, they didn't have a whole lot of Scripture for it, and they needed to have Scripture for it. Um, so uh, a lot of times the first generation did uh, and then we forget the Bible reason through that. We, we, we fail to, to do the Bible reason. The second thing that happens beside tradition is peer pressure. This is probably one of the most damaging ones, I think, in fundamental circles today. Peer pressure. Uh, because we identify with a, a particular group of pastors or, or churches that are of like mind, of like faith, um, we do things simply because that's what the group we identify with is doing. And not because there's Bible behind it. Um, we even get to the place of uh, having a stigma by not doing it. Uh, somebody that's in that group that doesn't do what all the others in the group are doing uh, gets looked down on as not spiritual. Well, that, that guy, he's, he's leaning towards liberalism, so let's not fellowship with him because he's not in agreement with what our group decides we're going to do. Uh, we've got to be careful of these things. We have right rules. We have right standards. But many times we have them for the wrong reason. And we cannot defend our position from a biblical perspective. We need to know our biblical reason. Um, the reason uh, may be uh, that we don't want to be identified as a liberal. 
And that may be the only reason. I've met preachers who hold to a certain thing, and the only reason they could ever give is, boy, if I don't, uh, the people I associate with, they're going to think I'm liberal. And so they hold to it. That's not a good enough reason. When I was a kid, um, my mom and dad said, this is the rule, this is the standard, and if I said why, they would give the answer because I... So you had parents like that too, right? Because I said so. And really, when I'm 8, 9, 10 years old, that's all I need, right? Amen? They, I, I don't need them to expound the next scriptures to me and give me the... Just because mom and dad said so is fine. But somewhere in my teen years, when I'm starting to develop my, my character, my standards, what I'm going to hold to, what's going to be the rule of my life, I'd better have a Bible reason why. Because just because I was taught that by mom and dad is not a a defendable position. I cannot state my standard to some lost person and then say, well, why do you do that? And I said, because that's what my mom and dad said. My mom and dad have no authority of that lost person. But if I can say, because I have a book from a holy God and he has said this is why, I've now got a defendable and an authoritative position to stand on for my standard. Peer pressure is not a good enough reason for why we have what we have. We've got to be careful of this. Our goals may uh, be set uh, to look good in our circles, so a lot of times it will affect uh, even our methods. Uh, Now all of a sudden, um, so that we can be identified with this group, we may adopt uh, non-biblical methods of accomplishing things. We may set some non-biblical goals. We're going to talk more extensively about this, Lord willing, in a couple, in two weeks, I think is the lesson on this one. But the truth of the matter is this, and I'll just give it to you in a nutshell. The Bible says that when Jesus was speaking to Peter, he said, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock, what does he say? I will build my church. He doesn't say, I will build your church. <clears throat> Neither does he say, you will build my church. Who's going to build the church? What is Who is? God's going to build His church. Here's the problem. God has certain things that He's given to us in Scripture as a church that are our responsibility. There's no doubt about it. There are things He says, this is stuff you ought to do. And then there's some things He says, now, this you don't have to do. I'm going to do it. And here's what we've done. We've come and we've said, okay, I'm going to take God's responsibility. And I'm going to leave my responsibility undone. And we're losing our churches because of it. <clears throat> we've got to be very careful of these things. So our, our goals may look good because of peer pressure. And we've got to watch this thing of peer pressure. I'm not for bucking the crowd just for the sake of going against the crowd. But I'm not going to be pressured to do something in the church that I don't have a Bible reason for. We've got to understand that. That's not going to be my motivation. That may be a good thing, and maybe after prayer we say we want to do that, but it's after God's laid it on our hearts to do it, not because some group has said, if you don't do this, you're not as spiritual as we are. And I hate to say this, but that happens a lot. If you've been around very many churches and you get around certain groups, you'll know that there's a lot of schisms and things that happen there, and, a lot of, and I hate to use the word, but a lot of politicking, spiritual politics that happen, and that, that you know, uh, brother, I'll have you preach at my church if you'll have me preach at your church and we'll be in agreement, you know, kind of stuff. And we've got to be careful of that. We've got to be careful of that. 
All right? The third thing that causes the problem is pragmatism, and this is another big one. Uh, our, one of the reasons we do the, the things we do many times in our church is because it works. And we go to a Bible seminar. Let's say a preacher goes to a Bible uh, school or uh, some kind of a week-long Bible conference on soul winning or, or how to do a bus ministry. Or, and I'm not saying these, these things are wrong. I think you can get some valuable things from them. But we go to those things and our, our, we start taking notes. And our, our, our reason is this. Somebody's going to get up and preach or teach on something. And one of our first thoughts is, did it work for them? And if it worked for them, then I'm going to go home and I'm going to do it in my church. Just because it worked for somebody else is not a good enough reason to do what we do. When we do something here at Keith Heights Baptist Church, we need to do it on purpose and for a purpose. And that purpose needs to be based on our biblical purpose and our biblical philosophy of ministry. It does not need to be based upon the opinions of men. It doesn't need to be based on, uh, I heard one preacher say it this way, Dr. Phil DePew. <laughs> The guy that, that's, you know, he's giving out $100 bills for everybody that rides the bus next Sunday, but he can fill the auditorium up. Well, that's not a good enough reason to do it, just because it works. And that's, that's, a, that's a hard statement to deal with anyway. I use air quotes when I say works, only because of this. Uh, and one of the things we will deal with here in the next few weeks is we measure success by what seems to work, don't we? But that's not a biblical measure of success. A biblical measure of success in ministry is far, far different than how many our people are sitting in the pews. Uh, you can have, and, and I, I'll give you, I'll give you a, a, a really good il illustration here. I would, I would stand the results of Keith Heights Baptist Church in ten years against Joel Osteen's church in ten years and the people product he's turning out, and then tell me which one's been successful in ministry. You get people that turn out that love the Lord, that are seeking God and are doing things with their life versus somebody over here that's been uh, taught that, that God's, God, Jesus isn't even the only way to heaven. There's other ways. And you're going to you, you look at the product that's being turned out. So you can't measure by, by what seems to be outwardly success. It's not about the numbers. There's a much more biblical way to gauge success. And the reason we don't like to use the biblical way of success is it takes time to see it. It's not an instant thing that you can look at and gauge. It takes time. You don't know 20 years down the road the person, that life that's been built line upon line and precept upon precept sitting in the pews of your church, hearing the Bible taught over year, over year, over year, and growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't know the eternal effects of that life until 20 years later. It's almost like child rearing. It's, it's one of those things that when you're a young couple and you decide you're going to have kids, and, boy, you've read all the books. You think you know you're going to be the parent. You get one shot at it, and you don't know that you're a success until it's too late. And that's kind of the way it is with churches. So here's what I would rather do. I know every man has their, has their uh, own free will to choose as they see fit. Here's what I would rather do. I would rather do it according to the Bible and leave the results up to God and let that man have his own free will than to try all these gimmicks and things that I look at and people that seemingly have things that worked in their ministry, and that's the reason why I do them. I'm not going to use our church as a guinea pig and try all these different things and programs and, and uh, promotions. And uh, I'll promise you this. I, I could go out this week, and, and I think you all understand this. We could do certain things in this church this week that I promise you we'd have standing room only here next Sunday morning. 
We get out and promote it right this week and we do certain things in this church, I promise you we could have standing room only here this week. But would we accomplish anything for the Lord? Would there be results from it? Would there be something of eternal consequence from it? And probably the answer would be no. So we've got to be careful of pragmatism. What seems to be uh, working is not always what is working. Uh, we measure success many times by how it works. So here's what happens. In, in, so we have these three things that influence a lot of times why churches do what they do. And they do that, they fall into those traps because they have not followed their biblical purpose and they don't know their biblical philosophy. By the way, everybody has a philosophy. A lot of times they have never stated it, but everybody has a philosophy in life. Every ministry has a philosophy. Uh, they may not have it written, they may not state it, but every one of them follow a philosophy. Uh, as we come to this, uh, it results in us arriving at truth backwards, okay? Um, so here's what typically happens. I'll just give you the scenario, and then we'll get to Acts chapter 2, and we'll see some of the things as we start developing the purpose for ministry uh, here at Keith Isaac Baptist Church. So what happens is because of these three, uh, these three influences, let's say, uh, tradition, peer pressure, and pragmatism, and keep those three in mind, uh, because of the influence of these three things in our churches, what ends up happening is we begin to arrive at truth backwards. Uh, the things that we hold to, the things that we think are doctrine, the things that we say are truth, and we're going to uh, be dogmatic on these. We arrive at them backwards, and in a large part, many times create uh, erroneous truth because of it. So here's what happens. Usually a preacher or, or a, a, the, the leadership of a church will come in, and maybe it's a new pastor. Maybe he's coming into a church first time, and boy, he's taking this church, and he's got vision. And by the way, I think every, pers- every church ought to have vision. Amen? Uh, we ought to be uh, pursuing to do more for God. Uh, I think a Christian that's content in what we're doing for the Lord is a stagnant and a stale Christian. I think there ought to be discontent in doing more for God. I think we ought to do more, more, more all the time, seeking to do more. So this, this energetic preacher comes in, probably not me because he's younger than me, I'm sure, if he's got energy. And he comes in and, uh, and he says, okay, we're going to set a goal. We're, we're running uh, two, four, six. 8, 10, 12, 13, 14, 15, 15 on Wednesday night, and uh, in six months, we want to be running 50. That's our goal, and so we set a goal. We pray about it. We start working towards it. Now, we set the goal. The next logical thing that we do once we set a goal is then we have to say, okay, now how are we going to accomplish this goal? Pastor gets a banner up, and we put a big banner on the front of the uh, auditorium to remind us, pray for 50, you know, thrifty 50, or whatever the motto is. And, boy, we are pursuing this, and the church gets stirred up, and, boy, we are excited, and there's something growing, and there's something vibrant there in the church. By the way, can I say this, and I, I just want to say this in passing, and we're going to move on, because we're going to deal with it further on. The stirring in the church ought not to be a pep rally from leadership that gets up on the pulpit and stirs the hearts of people like you do at a ball game. The stirring of the church comes from inside as the Holy Spirit of God stirs the heart. I, I think there are, there are dry preachers in our pulpits today. Uh, Brother Harold loaned me a book one time, and there's a fellow that wrote a book years ago, I guess several years ago, that says, Preacher, please resign. There are some preachers I understand probably should be out of the ministry, probably shouldn't be in the pulpits. And one of the problems we're facing is dried up pulpits and preachers who have no passion for the Lord and have no passion for God's Word to get it off to the people and to let people understand and to grow. And I know there's times we need to stir up the preacher sometimes. By the way, a good amen every once in a while helps. Amen? (laughs) 
I'm not, I'm, now see, I'm cheerleading. See there? I'm trying to, and I'm going to peer pressure you. To, <laughs> see, see how that works? That's, it's that quick, isn't it? See? But here's what we do. We set the goal. Then we say, okay, now how are we going to accomplish this? So we get up and, boy, we're, here's how we're going to do it. We're going to, these are the methods we're going to use. Boy, we're going to, get, we're going to uh, run two more bus routes. And we're going to, uh, to get people to come on those bus routes, we're going to give away uh, a bunny rabbit to every kid that brings five visitors on the bus. And, and then we're going to uh, <laughs> drive them home and keep the windows up so they don't throw the bunny rabbits out on the highway uh, and watch them get squished by a car, which I was in a bus ministry and saw that happen one time with ducks, not, not rabbits. Uh, so anyway, um, and so we, we come up with our methods. We try to... Uh, look at other ministries. What are they doing that's working? Their, their goals are similar, and they're accomplishing these goals. What are they doing? What are their methods? We begin to adopt and emulate their methods. And then we say, okay, you know what? We, we've adopted these methods, and six months from now, guess what? We have 50 people in the congregation. Now, they're not saved. They've not been taught, but, boy, we had a big day. And that big day, we had 50 in church. We haven't done anything with them. They've not grown spiritually. They were in church on that one big day, and we hit our goal of 50 in six months. The big goal of the day. And so, boy, we're excited about that. Other preachers come, and they begin to talk to us, and we say, uh, boy, that's, that's good. Your, your methods are good, and boy, how you accomplished that. You set the goal. You did the methods. I think, preacher, you ought to probably write a book on how you did that. And so the preacher says, you know what, you're, you're right. Other people need to know that, hey, if you'll, if you'll set this goal and you'll do these methods, then, uh, hey, here's how you do it. Here's how you accomplish it. And so we write a book and somebody reads it and may invite us to a, a seminar or some kind of uh, Bible conference to help teach on how we did it. And, boy, this is and, – and we're back to the old pragmatism thing. Does it work? Well, it did, sure. Yeah, in our ministry it worked. Now, we, we didn't see any spiritual growth through it. But we hit our big day. We hit our big number. So then we start getting out on the, the, the conference trail. We begin to teach others how to do it. And before long, the, the group of people that we identify with, the fundamental group we're in, they take it and they accept it. And uh, it, it, it literally becomes to a place where they say, okay, if you're going to do anything for the Lord, this is how you have to do it. The same way that church over there, Brother So-and-So did it. And he wrote a book on it. And if he wrote a book on it, he must be an authority on it. And so if you don't do it, if, you don't, if you're not doing that program in your church, and I could, I could name a program right now, if I named it, I'd make three-fourths of you mad. You'd probably never come back again. That happened this way. It became a program in our churches, and if you don't do it in your church, you're not a good church. I wouldn't be a member of that church if they didn't do that program in that church. It happened. It is happening today. And so we, we make it accepted in our circles. It becomes the accepted way of doing things. But then you get somebody, you, you know what they are. They're the thinkers of your church. Uh, they're the ones that watch what you're doing, and they want to know, can I trap him <laughs> some way? You know, like the lawyer that came to Jesus. He really didn't want to know the answer. He was trying to trap the Lord Jesus Christ when he said, what is the greatest commandment? And you get thinkers. And you'll get somebody walk up say, Preacher, 
We're doing all this stuff in the church, and boy, it's giving good numbers, but where's your Scripture for that? <laughs> scripture, and you know what you want to say as a preacher? Well, brother, there's no Scripture for Sunday school, but we have it. <laughs> you know, just some things you just ought to know, you just do, you know. You don't need Scripture for everything. That's what you want to say. But you're more spiritual than that. You want to have Bible for it. So then you go and you say, okay, uh, you go home that night and you get your Bible out and you say, okay, and you start frantically looking for Scripture. Now, I want to say this. You can, you can make the Bible say almost anything you want it to say. And so we've got to take the context. You've got to know Scripture, and, and Scripture will never, never uh, contradict itself. The rule number one, it just will not contradict itself. You've you got to be careful in taking verses out of context. I'm sure you all have heard this before, but there was a preacher, a young preacher one time, didn't know what to preach on one Sunday. He said, I'm going to open the Bible, put my finger down, what it says I'm going to preach on. And so he opens the Bible and puts his finger down, and the Bible said, Judas went and hanged himself. He thought, well, that's not a good topic for Sunday morning. So he opens the Bible again, puts his finger down, and says, What's, uh, go and do thou likewise. And he thought, well, that definitely is not a good passage of Scripture. And he opens it a third time, says, third time's a charm, puts his finger down, says, what thou doest, do quickly. And if that man had followed that, he could have proven from Scripture. Now, it was all Scripture, wasn't it? Sure it was. It was all in there. But if he had taken that as his outline, you would have thought when you left church on Sunday that you ought to go out quickly and hang yourself like Judas did. That is nowhere in Scripture. And so you've got to be careful of this, that we have a biblical background. So, so here's what happens then. These circles take it as their accepted mode. The mode, the methods, now become tradition. We've forgotten why we do this. And now it becomes tradition, so every church does it. And boy, it's the accepted thing. And men write books on it and travel the, the seminar circuits. And, and boy, this is the way to do it. Why? Because it works. Not because we found it in Scripture. And then we find ourselves scrambling, going to Scripture, trying to find a scriptural reason to support the methods. And then slowly that method, that, that, that thing that we've dealt with, becomes doctrine in our churches. There's something I'm thinking of right now, and Lord willing, this year we're going to be teaching on it, and it's going to cause some of us to think a little bit different because it's different than what our independent Baptist circles have taught for the last 115 years. It's different. It didn't even get taught until 115 years ago. But the last 115 years, we have been teaching it and teaching it wrong. And it is accepted in almost every fundamental Baptist church I know. And we just say, that's doctrine. That's truth. Until we go and look for it in Scripture. And then we realize, wait a minute. Even the early apostles in writing the Bible did not teach that. They taught something else. Lord willing, we're going to be teaching that soon. <laughs> and hopefully people won't leave the church over it. Because I will say this, folks, and I mean this with all of my heart. My heart's desire is to preach truth. And I don't care how many people that have influenced my life have said this is what it is. If it contradicts with this book, I'm going to change. And I don't care how steeped I am in it. Because this book is my sole authority. Period. And it may cause some people to say, boy, I just don't see that. Or, boy, I, that's not what we've heard all of our lives. Or they may pull the two or three verses out of context and say, this is what I was taught. 
But when you take Scripture and look at it through Scripture, something that we have not been taught right. How did we get there? Pragmatism. 115 years ago, some started teaching it, and it worked. And it became tradition. And then later on, it became doctrine. Now look at Acts chapter 2. I am six minutes after eight. If you will give me five minutes, I'm going to give you the introduction to next week, and we're going to deal with it. Folks, this is the problem we find ourselves in. And our churches are being destroyed because of it. Look at Acts chapter number 2. Again, keeping in mind that Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, if you want to write that down somewhere, is kind of the, the launch pad. It's kind of the, the foundation of the purpose of the church. Now, there's going to be multiple things we'll find in Scripture that are the foundational pillar stones, if you will, for that. And we're going to begin looking at those. I will tell you this, uh, what we're going to look at tonight and in the next couple of weeks is not exhaustive. There are others in Scripture. These are some of the big ones, and these are some of the main ones that are in there. Acts chapter 2 and verse number 42. We're going to look at them. I'm going to give them to you quickly, and then we'll teach on them and, and preach on them next few weeks here. Acts chapter 2, verse number 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers, and fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. Now, I want to stop and say this. There's a couple of rules in interpreting Scripture. There's a study of interpreting Scripture. The big name word for it is hermeneutics. Uh, you don't really need to know that big name word. But there's certain rules that we follow when we come to Scripture. One of them is what we call the law of first mention. Uh, the law of first mention is simply this, that in the Hebrew language and in the Greek language, they wrote in such a way that even if it created an awkwardness in the sentence structure, they would take the most important items and put them at the top of the list. And so here we find that there's a, a, a hermeneutical principle being done here in verse number 42 because the first thing they mention here in verse number 42 is what? They continue steadfastly in what? The apostles' what? Doctrine, okay? You'll find a similar thing in 1 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for what? Doctrine, okay? Most important thing, period. The most important thing of a church is to disseminate and to get across and to teach doctrine. That is the main cornerstone of a church. By the way, before evangelism, okay? Now, it doesn't mean that we negate evangelism. We're going to talk a little bit more about this next week. But here's the struggle I've seen in my lifetime. You either have a church that teaches all doctrine and doesn't have hardly any emphasis on evangelism, or you get a church that is all evangelism and they never teach doctrine. Folks, God intended for both to have the balance. You've got to have the doctrine to be able to evangelize well. And you've got to evangelize well in order to put the doctrine into practical application. And so we've got to have both. All right? So stay with me on this. Uh, let's look at verse 42. So I'm going to give you the four things here that are found. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, bu, 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 bu. And we're going to move down a few more verses. And they continue steadfastly in apostles' doctrine. The second one. And then what? Fellowship. It is an encouragement among God's people when we get to meet with God's people. When you meet other brothers and sisters in Christ that have a hunger and a thirst for God's Word... And they get excited about who God is, and they love God, and there's things that, that, that we have in, in common there. We love getting together and talking about the Lord. 
We love getting together and talking about His Word. It's not hard for us to say, 7 o'clock on a Wednesday night, I have to go to church. No, no, we enjoy that. That's something that, boy, our hearts are stirred by it. We love it. We get to be around other people like this. Are you all still with me? It's 10 after. Stay with me. Almost done. Uh, Fellowship, number three, breaking of bread. Uh, The idea of the Lord's Supper. Some pastors say, well, no, that's just dealing with more fellowship. I personally believe that this part of this verse is dealing with the practice of the Lord's Supper, the breaking of the bread, the idea being that there is a time of remembrance of the body and the broken body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that we as God's people do, and we do that as a pur- as a, uh, for the purpose of worship. We do that for a purpose of worship. Um, and so worship is a big part of the purpose of a church. Uh, and again, I'm not afraid of that word. I, I mean, I, I wish so much that the Charismatics had not scared Baptists away from the word worship because it's now, I'll tell you this, a lot of what they call worship today is not worship. But you ought not be afraid to worship God. And we'll, we'll work on some of that in the weeks to come. All right, and the, last, uh, the next one here, uh, not the last one, but the next one here, and in prayers. Prayer is a big thing. This is one of those things that is probably the biggest need in our churches today, uh, lacking out of all of these purposes. Uh, but I will say this, it's probably one of the most neglected. And I'm not talking about personal prayer, but corporate prayer. One of the least attended services of any church, and I think this holds true in every fundamental Baptist church, one of the least attended services of any, any fundamental Baptist church is if the pastor says on Monday night we're going to have a prayer meeting. You might get the pastor and one or two other people in the church to show up for prayer. And yet it's one of the purposes of the church. Our Wednesday nights, you know, we call them a prayer meeting. And how little time it seems is dedicated to the prayer time in our Wednesday night services. Uh, Lord willing, we're going to, when I first came here, one of the things that was a great blessing to me, uh, I'd come from a church where we spent a lot of time on Wednesday nights praying. We spent a lot of time on Monday nights praying. We'd come on a special night to pray. And we would have large people in the large groups, not large, large people. Only the big people came to the We had large numbers of people come on Monday night and be in the prayer meetings. But it took time to get to there. The first few we had, three or four, five people maybe. Very few. Prayer. All right, and then moving on now, we're going to take time uh, next week to deal with this one. Um, uh, Verse number uh, 46, And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness, singles apart, praising God and having favor with all. And the Lord added to the church daily... Such as should be saved. Number five is evangelism. Number five is evangelism. So we find the five uh, key purposes of the church found here in Acts chapter number two. And we'll deal with that. I apologize for going way over. We're 13 minutes past. Uh, Folks, I I do want to say that I know this is a non-typical preaching service of our church. But from time to time, our, our core people, the people that make up Keith Ice Baptist Church, we need to know these things and review these things. We need to know them from a biblical perspective. And so uh, stay with us. Hang in there. Uh, if something you don't agree with, wait till we're through with it. Hang in there with us. And feel free to come talk to me about something you don't agree with. I'll be more than happy to talk with you about it. It could be I'm wrong. It could be you're wrong. Or it could mean we're both wrong. And we want to find the truth of it. Okay? Uh, I will say this. Um, and I think most preachers worth their salt would feel this way. Um, my, my goal is to preach truth. And if I'm wrong, 
if I misunderstand this Bible, because I can do it as easily as anyone else can, I would hope someone sitting there with a Bible on their lap would come and say, Preacher, I think we ought to look at this again. Because my desire is truth, not to continue in error. Now, I, I don't want you to come and bombard me after every service with a list of all the things I said wrong. But I will tell you this. If you have a legitimate concern about something we teach or preach from this pulpit, my door is always open. And I will either show you from Scripture and show you how that's true, or we'll look at it and I'll say, you know what, you, you may be right. I, I may have missed it on that one. I try not to ever do that. But I'm a man like anybody else, and I am fallible. This is the only thing I know to be infallible in this world. Uh, there are preachers I know that will teach things that are not, not right according to this book. Uh, so feel free on that to discuss that stuff with me. I'll be glad to discuss it with you. And it doesn't mean we have to be enemies either if we end up disagreeing on it. Uh, we can still be friends. Amen? And uh, all right, let's stand together. We'll be dismissed. Thank you.